Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Anoush. And I'm Ben. And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we're doing a special look ahead to the local elections. And you ask us lots of questions about what to look out for in the results. Now, we are going to be talking about the local elections on this podcast. So that means that we're not looking ahead to the Stormont elections, but we will have a lot of analysis and coverage of those results when they come out. Because Ben, you on your New Statesman website, all about what the nation is thinking, state of the nation, you've actually done your local election forecast. I mean, a fool's errand, a very brave thing to do. What actually are you forecasting and why? Yeah, yeah. thanks for having me. Forecasting local elections is uh, unreliable. It's risky. So I'm going to have a go at doing it. Right. So let's just lay the groundwork here. Last time most of these seats up, particularly in England, were last up in 2018. Just because we live through it, we don't realise, recognise the changes that have gone on. 2018 came long before Labour's collapse in its base, long before seats like Dudley, Grimsby, Bolton, Hindburn, Burnley, I, c- I can go on, L- like these types of seats moved away from Labour. So the seats up this time round happened before then, right? That context is key here because the forecast I'm putting out is a little bit nuanced. Overall, we have the Conservatives losing around 200 seats net. We have Labour gaining 147 seats net, but it depends on where you look. In Scotland, we expect Labour to do very well. We expect Labour to overtake the Conservatives for second place uh, in terms of council seats. In London, we expect them to do rather well, probably picking up Ones worth probably picking up Barnet. We think they'll fall short definitely in uh, Westminster. Westminster's a hard nut to crack. Basically, there's a lot of Labour votes there, but they're spread in the wrong places. They're not in the, not in the wards that matter, the marginals, so to speak. Across the rest of England, though, uh, outside of London, we expect Labour to make a net loss of seats. And this is because, as I say again, most of the seats up were last up in 2018 before this this recalibration of the Labour vote there. So we expect, yeah, a little bit of a nuanced picture, but Labour's still advancing, doing much better than the 2019 election. Advancing, but again, nuanced in the so-called red wall. For the Lib Dems, they're, they're, they're middling. They're, they're doing all right. They're, they have a place. Uh, there's a risk they could be in trouble in places like Sutton. Uh, they may probably do well in Somerset. Um, they are optimistic in Westmoreland and Furness a new local authority which splits Cumbria in half. For the Greens, we expect them to do rather well as well. They're advancing, but um, it's a bit hard to make predictions about them in Scotland and Wales because they have such a low base and they only stick to cities. And that's really about what I can say about my forecast for the moment. 
Okay. And you've just sort of blown up all of this expectations management that we're hearing, particularly from Labour strategists and Tory voices as well. This is what they tend to do ahead of midterm local elections in particular to sort of say, oh, you know, you know, it would be a success if we won one council seat in these elections, just to try and make sure that they can spin their results as success the next morning. Oh, it's terrible. You have you have one uh, forecast earlier saying Conservatives on course to make a net loss of 800 seats. And then you have one person saying anything less than 200 gains for Labour will be a terrible night. These read like people who are not exactly engaging. I, I don't want to be a snob or, or snotty about this. These read like people who are not engaging in sort of uh, an honest use of data, but really are just, yeah, they are playing the expectations management game. Remember, I, I, I am repeating myself here, but most of the seats last up were last up before the realignment of 2019, before the collapse in the Labour base, before really get Brexit done was the key pillar, key driving force of votes in cities like Hull, towns like um, Grimsby. It, we, we have changed as a country. We don't realise it. And the, the council class, if you want to call them that, of 2018, have to catch up with our new political reality. And that's why my forecast, at least, expects Labour to make a net loss of seats. If, if Labour doesn't, my goodness me, they are doing incredibly well. But these high baselines this this game of expectations management is, is incredibly blatant and it's a little bit annoying i can't believe that you're accusing government spinners of being dishonest about the data yeah, then. Never do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes it's really interesting isn't it because in a way it's it's unfair because of the way that these elections sort of play out like you say the seats that are up were last up in 2018 well particularly in england but it does look like labor has more to lose doesn't it First of all, a lot of the elections are in metropolitan areas where they have more seats. And then, of course, they're defending these 2018 seats that in a way have kind of been kept on ice because they weren't up for grabs, uh, you know, in, in the ensuing years that other seats on these councils were. And so that means that, you know, in places in the Midlands, like Wolverhampton, where I went reporting last week, Dudley, Nuneaton, Newcastle under Lyme, and then places in the north of England, like Hartlepool, Sunderland, Wakefield, places surrounding Greater Manchester like Bury, you know, these are the places where Labour will want to try and hold some seats to buck that trend that we've seen since these seats were last up in the last local elections before the crumble of the Red Wall, even though that's been a sort of long running demographic shift. We really saw the manifestation of that in the 2019 general election. So Labour holds in those seats, even though holds don't sound as exciting as gains, will be the thing I think, for me personally, I'll be looking out for. And of course, if the Conservatives are disappointed in some of those seats, it suggests there might be a ceiling on the Red Wall advance. And that's something that I think they'll be particularly concerned about if it looks like that, because of course, they put their faith in Boris Johnson to be their leader, despite a lot of Conservative MPs' personal misgivings about his leadership and about his style and, and about you know himself as a person, because he could win over voters in seats like this, because in the words of one Labour MP, they don't see him as a Tory. You know, they see him as this celebrity. They see him as as someone in Wolverhampton, actually, when I was there last, last week, put it, he's like us. He makes mistakes. He's a bit of a fool, but who doesn't? You know, they can connect with him in this way that can be infuriating to his political opponents, both within his own party and also uh, in the opposition. But, but that is true. And there is a residual feeling of that as well. So if it's shown that there's some kind of ceiling on that support in these red wall areas, that's going to be a particular concern for Tory strategists and it might fill Labour with little bit of hope. I, I just wanted to kind of build on that about when you went to Wolverhampton. Brilliant piece, by the way. 
Uh, you went to Bushbury North, didn't you? Yes. Now, this is one great example here. Bushbury North, 2021, last year, last May, we saw a virtual repeat of the 2019 general election. It's worth just looking at last year's locals and just thinking, yeah, this was the general election, because nothing really is different across the country. It was just the right was united, so to speak. But in Bushbury North, 2021 voted Conservative. 2019, I think, also voted Conservative, but in 2018 voted Labour. Mm. If Labour holds here, that's a sign that it's doing better than the 2019 election. So as you say, Labour holds. We're not playing our own game of expectations management here, but Labour <laughs> holds show Labour is doing better than the 2019 general election. And that's the baseline, really. They should be they should be on their way back. Yeah, and what's interesting, actually, is that, that particularly in seats like that, in the ward of Bushbury North, for example, Although there is a lot of apathy and actually, you know, a Conservative councillor in the area did admit to me we are fighting apathy, you know, on the doorstep. The anger with the Conservatives, and there is a lot of anger out there about Partygate. I know that Conservative ministers have tried to paint it as a sort of Westminster bubble issue, but everyone pretty much that I spoke to when I was out had a story to tell about sacrifices they'd made during lockdown. You know, they weren't happy with the way that this government has been behaving. It didn't neatly translate into support for the Labour Party. In fact, there was a lot of misgivings about Labour. And although this particular story about Keir Starmer that has that has been being pushed hard by opponents of the Labour Party in the run up to the elections about these beers and curry that they were having under restrictions while they were out in Durham working, that story didn't come up specifically. But what I did hear from a lot of people was they're all as bad as each other. You know, Labour would have done the same. I don't trust any of them. That came up a lot. Obviously, that's not that unusual to come up when you're out vox popping. It is unfortunately a theme of how people see their politicians at the moment. But it is something that perhaps Labour should bear in mind when it is going on the attack about these Partygate stories. It seems to paint all politicians in quite a bad light. Well, that perhaps is only in certain seats that have become disaffected with Labour over the years. And in terms of what would really spook Conservative MPs in terms of the results, it's not necessarily results in those areas. I was speaking to a former Tory cabinet minister who was telling me that actually what will really get the angst flowing through the the back benches again is any sign of a retreat in the so-called blue wall, I know that's a bit of a hazier concept than the red wall, um, but places like Oxfordshire, South Cambridgeshire, Ed Davey, the Lib Dem leader, was out in Isha in Surrey, Somerset County Council is up. You know, if, if the Lib Dems make inroads in these areas among sort of those softer, one-nation, liberal, perhaps pro-Remain conservative voters, then that's the thing that's actually going to spook the party more than, say, these kind of uh, these predicted symbolic wins of London boroughs like Wandsworth and Barnet. Um, so that will also be something that I'll be keeping an eye on in terms of the politics. Do you think that's something that would represent a significant shift? Oh, yeah, yeah. Isha and Walton, perfect example, Dominic Raab's seat. His local election leaflets recently put out have abandoned the Conservative blue and have moved to the, the parliamentary green. And <laughs> you're, you're only doing that if you're in trouble. You're only doing that if, if you if you feel your party is like dragging you down in the polls. So yeah, Isha and Walton is definitely one to watch. That's in Elmbridge Council there. Keep an eye on that as the results come in either tonight or tomorrow. Uh, keep an eye, yeah, as you say, uh, South Cambridgeshire. There, there was a risk that the Lib Dems could have taken that South East Cambridgeshire seat 
uh, from the Conservatives at the 2019 election. They just keep building up there, partly because people living in Cambridge are moving out further afield. And they feel that's going to happen even in the northern parts of Cambridgeshire. Also known as Huntingdonshire, around where St. Neots is, near Huntingdon. Basically, John Major's old constituency. A lot of, like, not necessarily gentrification, but more affluent people moving further afield from Cambridge. You know, that could start to shift what used to be safe Tory seats into more competitive arenas. And then on the south coast of England, often forgotten, not too far from Brighton, is a borough called Worthing. Worthing didn't have a Labour councillor until 2017. And this year, the Labour team there are expecting to gain majority control of the council. This is a, this is a locale that used to be a lot older than it is now. But owing to people moving away from London, people moving away from Brighton, house prices, basically, and I think the working from home society that we are at least trying to move towards is going to accelerate this. You know, Worthing has become a margin. It's become in place. One of those boroughs, actually, that is definitely one to watch out for if you want to look at Labour games this evening. And who that would uh, cause trouble for? Tim Lawton. Yeah, I remember visiting Worthing with Peter Bottomley. Yes, that's it. Yeah, he was pointing out these all these new house building projects around for these younger families that are moving in. So I wonder if it's going to be a bit of a battle between the new, younger, perhaps more liberal families and the NIMBYs who don't particularly like all of this development um, on an otherwise, you know, quite beautiful, open place. Yeah, watch out for Oxfordshire as well. Very key. Cherwell, though the council is called. Cherwell and West Oxfordshire. This is basically where Clarkson's farm is set. Jeremy Clarkson lives around there. <laughs> those types of villages, those types of areas. You know what? They've become less conservative because the people living there are above average in terms of levels of income, are a little, more, a little bit more politically engaged than the average person. And those types of people, they were conservative, say, 15, 20 years ago. But now, because they become more progressive, they feel a bit more Labour inclined. And so last year, whilst Labour was getting absolutely slaughtered in Grimsby, Dudley, Burnley and elsewhere, they gained Chipping Norton. Literally, Chipping Norton voted Labour. Yeah. And uh, we will likely see a repeat of that this year. Yeah, Chipping Norton, a sort of symbolic true blue area and a bit of that trend is happening in well a lot of that trend is happening in some of the London boroughs that Labour hope to gain this time round I was out door knocking in Barnet and you know it was almost like this person had been planted there for my visit where you know she opened the door uh, wearing trendy gym clothes and she just moved in you know there was that cardboard stuff in the hallway and she was saying we've just moved from Islington of course we're Labour voters you know and it was a perfect example of people who have come in from much pricier inner city areas that vote almost on block for Labour then um, moving out to try and get a little bit more space perhaps a bigger place for their family and bringing as one of the councillors I was with put it their values with them um, and so you're seeing some of this trend in the outer London boroughs as well But of course, Ben, we can geek out as much as we like about wards and councils and demographic shifts. But really, it's up to how each of the parties spin these results the next morning or the morning after or over the weekend. I mean, remember what happened last time with the local elections last year? The Hartlepool by-election results sort of dominated the narrative for the first 24 hours. And then it turned out that Labour had actually done a little bit better than they were perhaps getting credit for, particularly in Wales. So, you know, you can see how these things end up basically just being storytelling. So I've already kind of said that perhaps a blue wall crumble would be the thing that would get Conservative MPs the most concerned about Boris Johnson's leadership. Um, But then, you know, there are other things too. Uh, What are people actually voting on. It's always a bit of a hodgepodge of very, very hyper-local issues 
and national issues or the national agenda, as some Tory councillors have put it to me, which their opponents are trying to push. You know, the cost of living is painted as this national agenda. Actually, obviously, it affects everyone's day to day lives. And that was probably the thing that was coming up the most when I was speaking to people and also, you know, disappointment in local services, not being able to get a doctor's appointment on time, not being able to get through to your council, council tax going up, but you're not really seeing very much in exchange for that. And so it'll be interesting to see the mix of the local and the national. How are people actually going to vote when it comes down to it? You know, this is always the the strange thing about local elections. In fact, it's the strange thing about politics. You know, I remember I was speaking to Kim Ledby, to the MP for Batley and Spen recently, and she was saying, you go from potholes to Palestine in her constituency. So I don't know, you know, whether we can draw any conclusions from some sort of what the driving forces are of people's voting choices. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when you look at local elections, there's always this assumption, ah, they will vote on potholes. And you know what? It's a low turnout election. 30 something percent of people vote, sometimes 40 percent on a good day. And you've got to always look at the types of voters who come out. They're more likely to be politically engaged. They're more likely to be, I suppose, strong of their view. That means apathetic voters that typically lived in the the red wall didn't normally turn out so-called red wall i have to say i don't really like the term but it's a balancing act between local issues of which active voters vote about you know they, they want to punish the council over bus lanes new bus lanes how dare they <laughs> and green bin taxes and council tax rises well it's always a context isn't it the only reason councils are raising council taxes because they have had their budgets cut elsewhere it's regrettably fallen on the fallen on local people because of that no i think one of the main issues that is shaping most voters when they go out to the polls is cost of living and that that chimes well with local issues because all councils are struggling all Mm. councils are having trouble how croydon's gone bankrupt cheshire east in 2019 went bankrupt uh cheshire east a conservative run council croydon a labor run council the councils are feeling the squeeze and so are people and i and, and i have to say moving on to public opinion moving on to polling I do feel that the government has been unable to recognise this this swell of public feeling over the cost of living. Whinging about your bills, we all do that, right? (laughs) But ranking it as the most important issue facing the nation, Britons have been doing that for the past two months now. Cost Mm. of living, most important issue facing voters, and the government's more focused on Rwanda, a new immigration system. It's more focused on talking about European medicines agency and PMQs. (laughs) That old chestnut. Yeah, it, it seems to have missed the trick in actually nosing in on the public's main priority. Labour's done it a little bit better, but I think, you know, we, we all like to talk about Partygate and voters definitely have raised it. But I think there should have been a more more of a focus on the cost of living by both parties this election. And because Labour's done it a little bit better, they should benefit. There's, that's part of the reasons why they're ahead in the polls, because the Tories haven't. But yeah, cost of living, it's the key issue this election. And I just think the Tories are going to suffer because they, they haven't given it enough attention. Yeah, and I did hear that from a number of people that I spoke to. Um, one person who had been a Conservative voter all her life, this was in Wolverhampton, was changing her vote, mainly because she'd had to use a food bank for the first time. And she was in her 60s and she was saying, you know, I've got it a lot worse than I was, you know, when I was growing up in the 50s and there was still rationing. So I think there will be a lot of voters considering those issues when they go to their polling stations today. Hi, it's Anoush here. This is just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have the option of subscribing to The New Statesman with a very special offer. You can subscribe for just a pound a week. That's 12 weeks for £12. If you go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. We'll be right back. From The New Statesman comes a new podcast. 
audio long reads. The best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Songs are like tattoos, Mitchell said on Blue. Having one written about you is immortality and fiction rolled into one. Featuring writing from our authors, including Kate Mossman on Joni Mitchell's former muse and lover. Jeremy Cliff on his journey through France before this year's presidential election. And Sophie McBain on the refugee crisis. Don't die, he kept shouting. He didn't answer when Marwa screamed back, Who is dying? Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads. Published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask Us. You Ask Us. <laughs> you sound almost as grumpy as Stephen used to sound when he had to do the call and response. So, you know, you're stepping into big shoes, Ben. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sleep deprived. I, can't, I didn't sleep well last night. Oh, God. Well, you know, you're going to have to get some sleep in before tonight. In fact, that was going to be one of my first questions to you. This wasn't actually written in by anyone, but I just wanted to know, how do you get through an overnight election live blog. I remember you were speaking recently about how you made your your amazing epic ward map. And that was on Christmas Day when you had COVID and you didn't feel like you had much else to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a, I feel like a social reject. I'm, just, I'm the kind of person who lives in a <laughs> mum's basement living my life that way. I promise you, I do have a social life, sort of, uh, with an asterisk, terms and conditions. Right. But anyway, uh, yeah, how, I, I've been doing this with under the title of Britain elects since about 2013 now. And there was not one local election, general election, where I didn't stay up all the night for since then. Even in 2014, when I was doing my A-levels, I, I had an exam the next day and I stayed up for it. I was an idiot. I won't lie to you. I was an idiot back then. How but, did you but, do in that, you, in that paper? Just out of interest. <laughs> I did okay. Emphasis okay. on okay. <laughs> yeah, I passed. I, I, it, was, it was good enough, basically. It was economics. I was fine. But anyway... Um, how, how do I normally do this? I normally sleep through Thursday and then I wake up afternoon, early evening and then just get straight to it. This isn't a passive aggressive dig at the fact we're doing a podcast here recording in the morning say, on Thursday, sorry. the 5th of May. No, <laughs> but it, it's all good. What, what, I, what I do over the year is I get in touch with loads of activists around the country hmm. and then normally at every other account. And I always say, look, hey, I'm only interested in a spreadsheet or whatever ward result you can give me. And they're really good at doing it. And I get, you know, from them, I get as much as like 500 ward individual results overnight. And the rest of it is up to me. And this year we have about, I think it's 4,000 wards and about 6,000, 7,000 council seats. So that's okay. That, that's a nice addition. What I do is I stick on Twitter. Twitter, you know, we, we overhype it. It's the home for journalists and media pundits and all the rest of it. But this is where the, the news is made. This is where the results come in. This mm -hmm. is where I get it all. I, I also re heavily reliant on local 
news sites. The Chronicle in the Northeast, really good people. I, I, I could name so many local papers who are just, you know, who, who may have their budgets cut to the bone, but who are just brilliant on election night. You stick around at the, at the counting hall and just just do their bit. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that as well. And, and, and all of this, it's spreadsheets, a lot of them, very complicated. Some of them are slow. Some of them have broken before. And it's just entering that in overnight. It updates a map automatically. I've got to thank my colleague, Josh Raymond, for that, who's our new, well, he was he did do data viz for the New States from Media Group, then Global Data, but now he's doing it just for me at State of the Nation. <laughs> You've commandeered him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he's a really good gent, and he's been helping make a brilliant map, which will be debuting later tonight for your viewing pleasure. Local elections are just brilliant. It's local government. It's it's you know it's um, it might just be bins, it might just be council tax, it might just be dog poo, but you know it's it's very important and i love covering it because the nuance the granularity of it is great like did you know the center of birkenhead is very green we don't realize that because when we think of birkenhead we think safe mm. labor scouse uh, and that's it but really there, there are so many areas where we think like this has been labor all its time burnley for example it was one of the rare places in the country to elect bmp then elect labor then elect ukip then elect brexit party and then now it's electing tory i'm fascinated by it and i love covering it and we've got a few questions about voting system as actually in, in local elections. There's a good one about Scotland, actually, we should do from Nathaniel. What impact will the use of the single transferable vote system have on the result in Scotland versus the rest of the country where first past the post is used? Is the system stopping the SNP dominating at a local government level? That's a really interesting question. Yeah, and it's all, you know, STV, also in a single transferable vote. It's a ranked choice voting system. It does provide I, I wouldn't it's all about ranking your choices one to five it's like it's like you know when we had that referendum in england on well in the uk on all the alternative vote it literally is you rank your choice of uh, which party you want and then your second choice third choice gets reallocated so at least a party a candidate gets to a quota gets to a proportionate quota so at least they're seen to be representing you know a, a substantial section of the public but anyway uh, stv only works when your wards, your seats, are multi-member. Okay, you, you can't you can't do it in single-member areas like like we have in vast quantities of England. Mm. It, you have to have a it, it's multi-member wards. Sometimes as many as four. And uh, what it does in practice, it just gives a more proportional form of representation. Not not one hundred percent. Not ten percent of votes equals ten percent of seats, but it, it goes that way, right? And, and so yeah, that does deny the Scottish National Party uh, a dominance in certain areas. It means that if you were to look at the party control in Scotland, very few. Actually, I don't think any. There is a majority on any. I think. I think all of them. It's like it's normally you have in Glasgow. I think it's Scottish National Party working with another party. I think it's either the Greens or Labour. I'm not sure. And then you have another council where it's like a unionist coalition. Labour and the Tories do work together sometimes up there. It's fascinating. What it what it just means is it, it just reduces the number of uh, you know so called wasted votes in England. You know, if, if you had a really divided ward, you you could win a seat with 20, 25 percent of the vote. In Scotland, you'll do the same, but other mm. parties will win it too. And that, that just adds to the proportional element of it. If I'm, if I'm right in saying, Wales is moving that way too. And of course, Wales has a lot of councils that are under no overall control or you know, governed by a coalition in that way. Yeah, but that's because of tons of independents. So many mm. people. You go to, I don't know, Harlech or, or parts of Gwyneth in, in North Wales, and it's like the choice of the election is not Lab v Con v Lib Dem v Green. It's Plaid Cymru versus an independent. And that's it. 
that's really it because 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 local parties aren't really organised there. The Tories have tried; they, they they put up a lot more candidates in certain like Conwy and and North Wales than they did before. But a lot of uh, North Wales, rural Wales, Welsh speaking Wales is not as partisan as say Cardiff Wales or Swansea Wales. Okay, and I think we've got time for one more question, which is from an anonymous uh, questioner who actually sent this in last time we had you on the podcast, Ben, but we didn't get to it. What is your mm. favourite sandwich condiment and has it changed over time? Oh, God. Can you answer that for a second? I need to think. I haven't thought this through. <laughs> I, I mean, I am known as like a sauce fiend. So really mine is just a mix of any sauces that are available on the table, ketchup, mayo, you know, <laughs> whatever's there. I'll put it on yeah. because it's it's got to be wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you, you have you you've mixed ketchup and mayo? It's really good, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Of course, cooking at its finest. <laughs> yes. No. Uh, what do I like? Ah, what did I have recently? I had a, I had a, I had a carvery sandwich recently, and it's you know it's just a mix nice. of. Are you a, are you vegan? Are you no, 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 no. I uh, I eat all beasts. <laughs> I, I, I had a go. I tried to be pescatarian once, failed. But I I, I've, I've, I happily come back to meat, and I, I had this carvery thing. A lot of pork. And what I thought was really nice, a sandwich condiment, stuffing and apple sauce or cranberry oh, yeah. sauce. That's just brilliant. And gravy. Now, this sounds like you've got an incredibly wet, disgustingly looking sandwich, but have a have a sandwich gravy and it. it's not bad. Nice. Have a go. Yeah, I feel like we didn't give diverse enough answers to that question. You know, podcasts are boring when people agree, but we're both, we both love a wet sarnie. <laughs> that just sounds wrong <laughs> all right well ben i really need to let you go to sleep now thank you so much for joining us uh and doing the particularly technical uh, questions as well as the fun ones as well and good luck with the coverage yeah. delighted to be here you've been listening to the new statesman podcast with me anusha kellyan and my colleague ben walker you can read his live blog overnight over election night at sotm.newstatesman.com. We're produced by May Robson and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to leave us a nice review and to subscribe. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.